I tell you what, I'm excited about this morning. And uh, I just appreciate Pastor Paul and his sensitivity to the Spirit. Um, I thought he was going to preach my message up here, but uh, just a tremendous way to understand a move of God. And this morning, I want to share a word that I've entitled Boundaries for Revival. Boundaries for Revival. Now, I know just the title itself sounds counterintuitive. If it's a revival, how do you have boundaries? How does that work? You know, what is it about revival that you can put within boundaries? But I would submit that it's something more than that. And so today, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward. Everybody say afterward. It'll come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Thank God I'm still having visions. Some of you will get that one. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for the power that is contained within it and the life that it produces when released. I thank you for the anointing to teach and to preach your word. And Holy Spirit, we open this time to you to do whatever you so desire. We want all focus and attention to be directed to Jesus and on what his sacrifice at the cross has meant for each one of us. We thank you for that now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, I am excited to speak about revival. What is it? How does it come into being? What is our responsibility in it? And what does the Word of God say about it? You see, too often I think we've allowed culture to dictate to us what our spiritual climate should be. But we live in a culture that's struggling to find its own identity. It doesn't know who it is. The further it travels away from the Word of God, the more difficult it becomes to define itself. Have you ever noticed? I know for some of us in here, we've been around a little bit. We've had a few more trips around the sun than others. But the further we drift from God's plans and principles, the harder it is for us to come to a consensus of what anything means. We're in a culture that has made language irrelevant. Words no longer have meaning. We, do, we redefine them on a whim. and Whatever we decide it should be based on our desires and then we cancel anybody who disagrees with our selfish philosophy. If there's ever been a time for an unchanging word, it is today. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 1, 1989. He said, forever, O Yahweh, your word is settled in heaven. God's word never changes. He never changes. Malachi 6 says, I, the Lord, never change. You can't hardly go from week to week anymore without something changing. 
but God doesn't. If there's ever a time for stability, the need for consistency, it is in our day. When we struggle to define ourselves as believers, others will define us as out of touch, unenlightened, ignorant, extremist, intolerant, etc. The reason they've been able to do that is because we have remained as the church relatively silent as we watch the gods of this world define our culture based on perversion rather than on kingdom principles of life. Let me give you a simple example. I'm going to say a word, and I want you all to get a picture in your mind. That word is dog. Everybody got a picture in your mind? Now, I promise you when I say the word dog, there are a myriad of different imaginations going on right now. But if I say big dog, some of the images you had just changed. If I say big black dog, your image has probably changed again. If I say big black snarling dog, once again, it's bringing things more to where we would be in unity. If I say big black angry snarling Doberman, Now, just about everybody in the room is going to have the same idea of what I'm talking about unless you don't know what a Doberman is. See, words do have meaning. And that's why it's important for us to understand that if we want to draw the appropriate picture of who we are and what God wants to do in this day, then we must use the language of heaven regardless of what the language of culture dictates. But what if I said revival? Same thing. We have a myriad of opinions in this room of what revival truly is. For many, they picture the good old tent meetings with sawdust on the ground. Some, they'll think of the Hebrides revival. Others, the Toronto Blessing. Others, the Pensacola outpouring or Lakeland revival. Some of you immediately went to the most recent Asbury outpouring, refreshing. But I would dare say that very few of us in this room have ever lived through a true revival of God's magnitude. So how do we define it? I've watched for 40 years of being a lead pastor and leader in the body of Christ, people chase after a move of God rather than being the move of God. God is no different at Asbury than he is right here. He is no different in Lakeland than he is right here. He is no different in Toronto than he is right here. He is no different in Pensacola than he is right here. Listen, when everything was... I've got a gentleman in our ministry organization who was at the Hebrides Revival. 
We're going back there with him in just a month just to pray, seek God, to see what God is doing there for no other reason than I want him to go back. Every time I prayed with him, I saw Scotland light up. I said, we've got to go back. Got to see what God wants to do in this moment. For the Toronto blessing, I think I had every speaker that was at that Toronto blessing in my church. When it came to the Lakeland, I mean, Stephen Strader is a good friend of mine, personal friend. I know him very well at Ignited Church and everything that took place in Lakeland. But there's one thing that they all have in common. You can't dictate revival, you can't mandate it, and you can't shepherd it. You cannot shepherd the shepherd. God will do what he wants to do and do it the way he wants to do it. Do we realize that what often appears as a spontaneous move of God might not be that? I mean, think of it like this. Could it be that groundwork has been laid for that moment in time? <clears throat> Second Chronicles 7.14, what does it say? If my people which are called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, pray, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. There are conditions that precede an outpouring of God's Spirit. The day of Pentecost didn't just happen. Jesus said, go, tarry, wait. We're not good at that today. Why? Because we have a fast food mentality. We want everything right now. I want to drive up. I want to come into the house of God. Give me a little side order to sanctification and maybe a plate of righteousness. And can you get that to go? <clears throat> and if we have to wait too long for our order, we're not coming back. And then we're going to leave our feedback on Facebook. And we're going to leave our feedback on any other social media. Why? Because our fast food spirituality didn't fit in that house. But it'll never produce revival. There will be those that will be offended by what I say, but I make no apologies. Jesus offended the religious. They actually ended up killing him for it. Let's examine for a moment the refreshing that's taking place at Asbury, just as a thought. Do you realize that one of their guiding principles is this? You can just go look it up on their website. Here's one of their guiding principles. It says, Asbury University promotes a radical commitment to Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. Think about that. We believe that Jesus Christ desires a personal relationship with every individual and invites us to die to selfish ambitions that we might live for him through the power of the Holy Spirit. This personal relationship is fostered by individuals who open themselves to God by practicing various spiritual disciplines such as prayer, 
Bible study, fasting, discipleship, accountability, fellowship with believers, witnessing to God's grace in their lives, and individual and corporate worship. This radical but directed abandon leads to an extraordinary life which brings glory and delight to Jesus Christ and grace as well as the fruit of God's Spirit to the believer. I've been told that Asbury University, I was with our world prayer team a week ago, and one of them said, do you realize that Asbury University is one of only two universities in the nation that have a full-time position for somebody to pray? It's what they're paid to do. Just lead prayer. Why is it that revivals break out? When Jesus sent the disciples to the upper room, he said, you wait, you tarry. They were fasting. They were praying. Then the day of Pentecost hit. To some degree, we all would like just a spontaneous move of God just to sweep in and take over. But too often, revival is an event to be at rather than a lifestyle to be in. So how does true revival really begin? I would submit that the revival we're seeking can only be found through God's word. Preparing our hearts for a move of his spirit. The purpose of any revival is to focus completely on God that others may see his glory through Jesus Christ. It is his word that provides the blueprint for true revival. His word gives us the boundaries of life for our safety and success. If we look at Jeremiah 29, 11, you don't have to turn there, but we know the plans that God has for us. He wants to bless you. He wants to prosper. He wants to keep you safe. But in doing that, he's given us his word that gives us a boundary. Psalm 85, 6 says, Will you not again revive us that your people will rejoice in you? Psalm 119, 25, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Psalm 119.37, turn away my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Revive me in your ways. Psalm 119.40, look, I have longed for your precepts. That's his word. Revive me in your righteousness. Pastor Paul said it this morning, that righteousness, that righteousness that is being outpoured, that we can walk in because of the blood of Jesus. Psalm 119.93, I will not ever forget your precepts, for by them you revive me. Psalm 119.107, I am very much afflicted, O Yahweh. Revive me according to your word. Can we see that over and over and over again, it is the word of God that brings a reviving in our lives. Now in 2006, a group of architects conducted an experiment was rather unique in what happened. They got a group of preschools, preschoolers together. And at their normal recess, they sent them with their teacher to a playground. And they told them, have all the fun that you want. Just enjoy it. But this playground had no fence. It had no boundary. And all of the children stayed close to their teacher They wouldn't wander away. They wouldn't go very far. They stayed close to the teacher because they were afraid. 
The very next day, they took the same children and teacher to a different playground that had a fenced-in area and said, enjoy yourself, go play, have a wonderful time. And the children spread out. They were running about the playground. They were doing everything they wanted to do. Some were climbing the fence. Others were doing various things. But what was the difference? A boundary. The boundary made them feel safe. The boundary gave them the guidelines of what they could do with their freedom. When they had the freedom they thought, when there were no boundaries, they never used it. They were afraid to go out. Listen, I'll tell you this as a psychologist. I have sat with too many clients, too many people, and as a pastor, far too many over the years that will try and defend a lifestyle publicly, but behind the scenes hate their life. I don't know how to get out. I feel trapped. Why? In their sense of freedom without boundaries, they were trapped. They were scared. They were afraid of the outcome of their life because they didn't know where it would go. And it was only through Jesus Christ that they found true release. It was only through the blood of Jesus shed for them where they found redemption and deliverance. See, Jesus often compared us to children. Matthew 19, 14, he said, Allow the children, and do not forbid them to come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. God did not give you his word to hurt you. He gave it to you and put the boundaries in place so you could experience true freedom. This is freedom. Oh, but if I do that, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do this. Stop it. You can do all of that. You just won't want to do some of it. And it's in that that everything changes. See, we as the children of God thrive when we explore the freedoms within the boundaries of God's word. And it is there that we will experience a true revival that God has for each one of us. But what does that look like in a practical sense? Pastor, tell me a little bit more. How does that work for us? Well, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines revival as an act or instance of reviving, the state of being revived, such as renewed attention to or interest in something. Renewed interest or attraction to. What do we want to renew people's attraction to? Jesus. I want everybody to see Jesus. I want them to see him in my life. I want them to see him in everything that I do. I want them to know Jesus in my life. Now, I'd like to say I'm a totally redeemed and never error individual. Pastor Paul made it absolutely clear none of us are there this morning. My wife knows I'm not there at times. There are things that frustrate me. And she will gently come alongside me and just touch my arm and say, be nice. (laughs) She knows me. And she knows I have a warring spirit 
sometimes it may not be enacted the way Jesus would want. So he gave me a help meet to remind me, be nice. I don't know about anybody else, but I've had some pretty wild customer service calls. I happened to be on the phone yesterday on a customer service call for what somebody said would be six minutes. An hour and 53 minutes later, after I completed my three-minute walk, I, my three-minute, my three-mile walk, <laughs> I'm still on hold. And I swear to you, the only thing I could hear, it wasn't Jesus, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was my wife going, be nice. I'm thinking, I'm preaching on revival tomorrow. Dear God, I better be nice. Because they might be in service today. went on and defined it like this. It's a new presentation or publication of something old. Jesus, God himself, is called the Ancient of Days. You're not going to outlast him. So you might as well line up to him. And now we can tell the story that's been around forever that is unchanging because this world needs something that is stable, consistent, and doesn't change. The Cambridge Bible or Cambridge Dictionary defines it like this. Revival is a process in which something starts to grow, develop, or become successful again. Oh. Here's my definition of revival that I believe is in line with the Word of God and the way things are defined. Revival is the state of having prepared ourselves individually and corporately for the absolute indwelling of the Holy Spirit, empowering us for service to one another and enabling us to fulfill the commission of Jesus to the world. That's real revival. So what I'd like to share with you today once I get past my introduction, <laughs> are five key components that I believe are strategic and integral to any revival. First, got to be revived. That's Jesus as Savior. For something to be revived, it has to be dead. By definition, the Oxford Dictionary defines revived as restored to life. Okay? Dead. It's dead. To be revived. Now, revived and revival are two different things. Revived means to bring back from the dead. Revival is an ongoing, that ongoing process. But revived means to bring back from the dead. Ephesians 2, 1 and 9 lets us know that... Although we were dead in trespasses and sin, 
in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world. The world is dead because of sin. It needs revived. And that reviving comes by making Jesus Christ their Savior. Paul goes on and he says, It's for by grace you are saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's nothing you could do, it's nothing you can earn, it's God's goodness. Because of his overwhelming love, he says, listen, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I love you. I care about you. I want you to have the best. I want you to be the best. That's why I gave my best. Repentance. Acknowledging the sacrifice of Jesus is the starting place for revival because it allows us to be revived. It turns us from darkness to light, from sin to righteousness. In a moment, the greatest miracle on earth will take place, which is something you can't see visibly. It is the changing of somebody that's been separated from God into becoming once again a child of the Most High. And that leads me to number two, restored. See, Savior, or being revived is Jesus' Savior. Being restored is having Jesus as Lord. It's not just enough to have Jesus as Savior. You see, today, a lot of people only run to Him when they need saved. When they get in a bad situation, when things are going tough, I need a Savior. And they run to God in the bad times. But they have yet to make Him Lord. See, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, then you'll be saved. But what happens is if we don't acknowledge Jesus first as Savior and then as Lord, we'll go back to the same pit we've always been in. And time and time and time again, you see people, the dog, if you will, returning to its vomit. I don't know how many of you have ever had a dog and watched a dog lap up vomit, but it is disgusting. And yet, that's what we do when we return to our sin. It makes us so sick, we puke it out. But for some reason, we think we like it. So we go back and we start lapping it up. Now, if that doesn't paint a picture you'll never forget, I don't know what will. But that's what sin does in our lives. See, we become restored as the sons and daughters of God. We are royalty. One of our destiny pastors said to me last week, they said, the people think that we're so out of touch because we have voluntarily submitted ourselves to an antiquated form of government known as a monarchy. It's true. We've made Jesus Lord and King in our lives. And the word of the King is supreme. We have voluntarily submitted ourselves to a monarchy. My dear sister down here knows all about monarchies. They're going through enough struggles of their own. 
But the kingdom I'm talking about never fails. <laughs> Romans 10, 9. Again, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him to the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. That brings us to number three. Renewed. Renewed as Jesus is merciful. See, we're renewed through his ongoing mercy. Having Jesus as Lord does not mean that you're never going to make another mistake. It does mean that because of his mercy, we no longer walk in condemnation. Can you see what I meant by Pastor Paul preaching my message? We don't walk in condemnation. We're not going to walk there. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 15. Well, let me go to Lamentations first, 3, 21 through 24. The reason I can still find hope. Do you know why there's so many people in the world today that will take their own lives? They have no hope. They don't see tomorrow as a possibility. They don't see themselves as worth anything. They see themselves as the world would be better if I weren't in it. I can't deal with one more day like this. And you know what? I understand. I don't agree, but I understand. It's because the enemy of our souls, according to John 10, 10, only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. There's only one person that wants them out of the way. He comes to tell them you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You're always going to be caught in this. What makes you think you can change? Who do you think you are? If we want revival, that's when we come along and we say, wait a minute. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you what I know about you. I may have never met you, but I know that you were created by a loving God. And he has only good things in store for you. And no matter what you think about yourself, the enemy has lied to you and you believe that lie. Let me tell you, you are going to rise up and you are going to be strong in the things of God. You will find out who you are. And when you know who you are, things change. What makes the difference? Knowledge, understanding. It comes from God's word. I heard a story once about a woman who had served the Queen of England for a long time. Years and years and years ago. The Queen gave her a proclamation. and She had it up on her wall. She was so proud of it because the Queen had given it to her for faithful service. Long after she was gone, not the woman, but the queen, there were those that would come around and collect taxes. They knocked on her door and she invited them in and she was in poverty, abject poverty, had nothing. And they looked up on the wall and they said, what's that? She said, oh, it's a gift. The queen gave me a gift. They began to read it. They said, why are you living here? 
He said, well, this is what I can afford. This is, this is all I have. And he said, no, 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 no. That's not all you have. Do you realize what this is? She said, oh, it's a beautiful ornament from the queen. Came to find out she couldn't read. She didn't know what it said. But because of her faithful service, the queen had granted her lands, houses, wealth. But because she didn't know, she lived in abject poverty. How many today live in abject poverty because this is just an ornament on their end table or an ornament that they looked at once and they never read what the king said about them. The Apostle Paul dealing with this whole area of renewal, said this in Romans 7, verses 18 through 25. I know that nothing good lives in me. How many of you can identify with that? Just put me on a customer service call. Be nice. Thank you. Everybody's going to go out of here with that one. Just be nice. Might not hear anything else, but be nice. Nothing good lives in my corrupt nature. Although I have the desire to do what is right, I don't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do. Instead, I do the evil that I don't want to do. Now, when I do what I don't want to do, I am no longer the one who's doing it. Sin that lives in me is doing it. So I've discovered this truth. Evil is present with me. Even when I want to do what God's standards, boundaries... Say is good. I take pleasure in God's standards in my inner being. However, I see a different standard at work throughout my body. It is at war with the standards my mind sets and tries to make me captive to sin standards which still exist throughout my body. What a miserable person I am. You see what, what Paul's defining here? The conflict that goes on in every single person. I should do this, but I don't. I'm over here. And then we get so mad at ourselves and we give up. We quit. The most high reverend Dr. Paul told us for several weeks how to work with our bodies. But too often, the things we hear are not life-changing to us. They're the next fad or the next resolution, or the next something we're going to try. But after a few weeks, it fades. I don't want that to be a part of my life. I want to know that the words that I heard, the words that were spoken into me, I can put into practice in my life. I want to take all this and this and this and this and this and everything that's going to help me be a better person, I want to take all of that and bring it into my life. Because I have but one purpose, and that's to honor the king. I want him to be pleased with what he sees in me. But Paul didn't leave it there. He said, who will rescue me from my dying body? I thank God that our Lord Jesus Christ rescues me. 
So I'm obedient to God's standards with my mind, but I'm obedient to sin standards with my corrupt nature. Thank God he wrote chapter 8. <laughs> now we know chapters and verses are for our benefit, but I thank God he didn't end his letter there. So what did he start off Romans 8 with? Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no condemnation. Stop condemning yourself. You want revival? Stop condemning yourself. Jesus isn't. If he's not condemning you, if he's not doing it, then you don't do it. We can allow the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our life without condemnation. Let me tell you the difference. Condemnation leaves you hopeless with no way out. Convicting says, I'll show you the way and you can change. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. He never brings condemnation. So we're not going to walk around like that. We want revival? Let it start in you. His mercies are new every morning. Thank God I need him today. Sometime between tonight or between this morning service and tonight's service that I'm doing, I'm probably going to have a customer service call. <laughs> I'm going to avoid it if I can because I want to be nice. Number four got to be refreshed. There are times of refreshing, the Word of God says. This is Jesus as empowering. We're refreshed daily by the Holy Spirit. Imagine what would happen if we didn't refresh ourselves daily. Just imagine. What, it would, what would it be like if you only ate once a week? What would it be like if you only drank once a week? What would it be like if you only bathed once a week? We need refreshed. If you don't get refreshed, you start to stink. Either because you didn't bathe or because you're dead. Either way, surely he stinketh. That's scriptural. Yet for some reason, we don't spiritually refresh daily. We want the magic sky fairy to come along and revive us. Just give me a little Jesus juice, a little Holy Spirit dust. Everything will be good. That's all I need. Don't need too much. Don't want to get carried away. In fact, pastor, I think you're taking a little long on this message. What are we doing every day to refresh? Are you in the word? Are you praying? Are we in the word? Are we praying? 
you know, I've got a golf cart in my garage because I thought it would be nice to have in this new home of mine. A lot of golf courses around where I live, I thought this is the place to have a golf cart. You can even drive it on the road. But I've not driven that golf cart in over a year. You know why? Batteries are dead. They didn't get refreshed. As a result, it sits in my garage. And then I found out how much it costs to replace the batteries. Thus, it sits in my garage for a year. Be a great tool, it would be nice to have. But I thought the cost was too much. So you're already there. We come and we park our rusty dusties in the house of God and hope that once a week we'll recharge our batteries. But pastor, when you ask me to do that every day, the cost is just a little too much. So when you're sitting in your garage, worn out, tired, depleted, needing recharged, the answer isn't going to be in a quick pick-me-up. It's going to be a complete refreshing of your spiritual batteries. For some of you, it needs replaced. Your old way of thinking just needs replaced. So you can start fresh, start anew in Christ. And the last one is rejuvenated. This is Jesus' strengthener. You see, we're renewed as we serve. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says this, Don't you know anything? <laughs> I like the way this is written. This is the Message Bible. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Woo. Wait doesn't mean I'm just waiting on God. That word means to serve. Are you serving at the Lord's table? See, that's why when people tell me, well, I don't need to come to church. I can just, I watch the service online. Bless you. Hope you receive something. But I will promise you this, you won't receive it there like you will here. Why? Because your gift, your talent, your abilities aren't being used here. 
your gifts, your talents, the things that God has given to you to be a blessing to all these that are here today is missing because you're not here. I'm a pastor, I'm sick. Be well, healed in the name of Jesus. Well, I've got a tight schedule. God will show you how to serve. It'll be, if it's another way, he'll show you how to serve. Why? Because it's only there that your strength is renewed like the eagles. It's only there that you have the stamina to keep going, to move, and to keep moving on. When Jesus was hungry, he sent his disciples to get food. He was hungry. He was worn out. He needed this rejuvenation, if you will. He's sitting at the well, and a woman comes. and He says, would you give me a drink? She says, how is it that you would ask of me a drink? I'm not the person you'd normally talk to. And he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask water from me. It's a living water that will never run out. And he begins to minister to this woman prophetically. He begins to share her life, her failures, and reveals there's no condemnation. Here's what you need to do. The disciples come back. What do they say? Uh, you need to eat something, Master. And what did Jesus say? I have food that you don't know about. He was already rejuvenated. He was already refreshed. He was renewed. He was revitalized. Why? Because he was going about his father's business. Jesus will give us the strength that we need day to day. I would submit that if we want true revival, and I believe we do, it's not going to come the way many of us think. We all have to get on the same page, the same definitions, understanding that true revival starts in you. By making Jesus Lord, confess our sin, confess him as Lord, repent of our sin. And by the way, I, need, I, need, I want to clarify that because I said confess your sin. Most people couldn't do it if they had to. They don't know what their sin was. It doesn't say that. It says confess Jesus as Lord. You repent of your sin. I'm sorry. I know my life screwed up, right? That's, that's repentance. Forgive me. But then we come and make him Lord. Get born again, baptized with the Holy Ghost, delivered. Because we can open the door to the enemy. For those of you that were here Wednesday night, you heard me on a little tangent. But I was reading Mark 7 yesterday just in my personal devotions. And I love what happened. Jesus was there and the disciples. And a woman comes and she says, please, my daughter is vexed by a spirit, a demon. And Jesus said, it's not right for me to give food to the dogs. And she said, yes, but even the dogs get food from the master's table. The children, they'll spill the food and the dogs get it. And he, Jesus is like, wow. He said, go home, demon's already gone. Just that, boom. We want people delivered. We want to see them set free. We want to see them born again. We want to see all of these things. Let it start in you. It's hard to give away what you don't have. 
We just get in his presence and you get refreshed. I used to tell my church this all the time. Next week, you come back prepared to preach this message. Because if you'll approach it like that this week, you'll make it a part of you. And you'll be ready next week. If somebody asks for you to give an answer of the hope that lies within you, you'll be able to do it. Why? Because you were prepared all week long. You were preparing for the message. Aren't you glad that Pastor Barb doesn't just stand up and say, well, you know, I really didn't do anything this week. I think I'll say a few good things. The Bible's here. Aren't you glad she prepares? Aren't you glad she's ready? Shouldn't we also do the same? When we will prepare these vessels, then God will pour out of His Spirit upon all flesh. And your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Upon my servants and handmaidens, I will pour out of my Spirit. Just like that. What people see as a spontaneous move of God was really time preparing for Him. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, we thank You for this opportunity that we've had to be together today and to be in Your Word. I thank you for every person that took time to be in the house of God today. Father, I know how valuable, I know how valuable time is. You said to redeem the time for the days were evil, and I can think of no better way to redeem the time than to spend it with my Redeemer. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, for those that may not have been able to be here today because they are ill, I command healing in their life. For those that need delivered, we speak right now in the name of Jesus and every demonic entity must leave and flee. For it's at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every hindrance, Father, that would come along and stop somebody from being able to serve the body of Christ the way you designed and to be able to proclaim the gospel we come against in the name of Jesus and release freedom through your boundaries. We thank you for it today. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here today, those of you that know me, I don't like to clear out any service or end any service without giving people the opportunity to make Jesus Lord. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's the first step. If you want a new life, you want something that's revitalized, it's going to be found there. And if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I've never made Jesus Lord of my life. I want you just to be bold and slip your hand up. Let it be the first step of boldness in a new life. Say, that's me. I need that. And I'm going to take just a moment because I want to pray with you. Second, if you've allowed things to cloud your time, to get in the way from spending time with the Lord, but you definitely want revival, I don't need you to show me your hands. I just want you to say, listen, that's real. 
Jesus has not been my priority. That needs to change. Listen, businessmen. If you want your business to prosper, give it to him. Because you can spin your wheels all day long. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. We've often taken that to be the church. Unless the Lord builds the church, they labor in vain. Now that's true. But think about your business, where you are, and the things that God has called you to do. Unless He builds it, you're just spinning your wheels. You might make a dollar or two. That doesn't mean you're successful. You could have all the money in the world and not be successful. Success is far more than just a few coins. Let God build whatever's in your life. Unless the Lord builds the marriage, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the relationships, they labor in vain. Unless God shows up and revives the way He wants to, we can pray in vain, be in vain, do all kinds of stuff in vain because we didn't involve Him. A lot of people send up hollow prayers because they're not full of His Word, they're not full of what He desires. Then we wonder why God doesn't answer. My Bible says in Isaiah 55 that His Word never returns void. My prayer might. So when I don't know how to pray, that's when I pray in the Spirit. Because according to Romans 8, He always prays according to the will of God. Trust me, there's a lot of times I don't know what to say. Whether it's been in business or something else. And I've got my CEO bench, my prayer bench. When I get frustrated, my wife is saying, be nice. I have to go back to that prayer bench and say, you are Lord. Forgive me for trying to handle this on my own. Help me be the man that you want me to be. Let me be the man of God you've ordained me to be. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. Pastor Paul.